It shall come to pass in the later days and that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established at the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills and the people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. It's about this time of year that you get the uh, triple dose of Andy Williams' Christmas song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Now, I will spare you singing it, although it's hard not to sing it. It has a jingle to it. It's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap, happiest season of all. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings, when friends come to call, it's the hap, happiest season of all. There will be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. There will be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There will be much mistletoeing, and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yes, the most wonderful time of the year. Now, some of you resonate with that song. You might have it on repeat on your playlist in your house, playing the entire month of December. Uh, this may be a season of blessing for you. You're not going through anything difficult or hard or, or, or troublesome. You have a functional family, which means that when you get together over Christmas, you can't wait. For some of you, the song that I just read is almost like nails screeching across a blackboard. That it's not a wonderful time of the year. That you might be going through uh, incredible suffering or hardship or trouble, and on top of that, you have a very dysfunctional family. And so even now, you're, you're almost dreading Christmas time when you have to go visit because of what you know will happen with the fighting and the infighting. And either extreme that you fall on, whether this Christmas season is the Norman Rockwell Christmas or whether it's National Lampoon's Christmas vacation season for you, Either of those, you can, you can lose sight of the hope and the real foundation of your hope during Advent season. If you're in a season of blessing and you've got a functional family, you can set your hope on those good circumstances in this season. And if you're in a season of, of hardship and suffering and you've got a dysfunctional extended family, you can set your hope on those circumstances hopefully changing one day. The reality is 
This Advent season is a wonderful time of the year, but it has nothing to do with your circumstances. And everything to do with the unshakable kingdom of God that Micah announces in this prophecy. Now, just to set the context and remind you, chapters one through three, and Kevin did a wonderful job laying those out. Three chapters of judgment with a few verses of hope, but lots of judgment. And Micah is, is warning Israel that they're about to go into exile. They're about to experience something really hard, really troubling, really painful. And so in chapter four, he says, I'm also gonna remind you of where your hope lies. And that is in the unshakable kingdom of God. So why? Why is the unshakable kingdom of God the foundation of your hope during this Advent season? First, because the kingdom is here. Look at verse one. It says, it shall come to pass in the latter days. Now, what do latter days mean? When is Micah referring to? Well, that phrase appears several times in the New Testament. And we're gonna go to a couple of those times to understand when Micah is talking about. Hebrews chapter one, verses one to two, says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, including Micah. But in these last days, there it is, in the latter days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, you see, the latter days doesn't just refer to Jesus' second coming at the end of time. The latter days refers to Jesus' first advent, his first coming, when he lived and died and rose and ascended to the right hand of God where he was made heir of all things. And what that means is that what Micah speaks about here in these five verses is speaking of you and me and now. That these verses have been fulfilled with the first coming of Jesus. Not consummated, that'll be his second coming, but fulfilled, which means that what is described here describes a present reality that you and I live in. That the kingdom is here. Now what does he describe? Look at the rest of verse one. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted above the hills and people shall flow to it. What is the mountain of the house of the Lord? Well, verse two says, calls it Zion. Verse seven calls it Mount Zion. Well, what is Mount Zion? We're gonna turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and I've printed those verses in the sermon guide so that you can follow along. Hebrews 12, verse 18, and then 22 to 24. It says, for you have not come to what may be touched. And then he goes on to describe Mount Sinai when God thundered down the 10 commandments to Moses and the people trembled at the base of the mountain and they couldn't touch it. You haven't come to what may be touched. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the innumerable angels in festal gathering. 
and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. See, with Christ's ascension from earth into heaven, with his transformation from, a, of a, from an earthly physical body into a, a heavenly, spiritual, glorified physical body. The earthly symbols are, are done away with. Micah's not speaking of a, a literal mountain like a Mount Everest that will touch. He's speaking of the heavenly Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, a spiritual kingdom that is invisible now, and Jesus' return will become a physical visible kingdom, but now it's a spiritual, invisible kingdom. And he says, the peoples shall flow to it, which means he's speaking of you and me. He was speaking of Christ and his church that you and I experience now. We're living in the kingdom. So how do you respond to such good news? That the kingdom is here. Well, Hebrews 12, 28 says this, therefore, therefore, in light of what I just said, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. The response is worship. It's worship for receiving such an amazing kingdom. And if, if you're experiencing the Norman Rockwell Christmas season, a time of blessing, a time of, of functional family. Right? This causes worship because what you're experiencing is, is only a parable to something a thousand times greater, the spiritual kingdom of God where Jesus is reigning that you're a part of, that lives in you. And if you're experiencing a season of hardship, and of suffering, of trouble, and of a dysfunctional, broken family. Right? This calls for worship because there is no trouble, no suffering, no hardship, no pain that can shake the kingdom of God that lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be shaken. No cancer. No disease. None, no undiagnosed health condition. No depression, no anxiety, no dysfunctional family, no unemployment, no house that you're about to be foreclosed upon, no financial trouble, no rocky marriage, nothing can shake this kingdom. And that's why the writer of Hebrews describes it and says we should erupt into worship and praise over a kingdom that is here, that's present, that lives in you. Gratitude and worship in the midst of your pain. I remember it well. One of my friends was visiting a woman who was in the hospital dying of cancer years ago. And this woman was a mother of four from teenager to toddler. She was a wife. She had been battling cancer and she was coming to her final days. And my friend walked in and said she was barely recognizable. Cancer had so racked her body. She was swollen. Her face was swollen almost to the point of being unrecognizable. She could barely talk. She could talk a little bit, enough to communicate just a little. And my friend said that just about all she remembered 
from that very short conversation with her in this hospital room is this woman, body racked by cancer, on her deathbed, saying, worthy is the Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Worthy is Jesus. You see, the kingdom of God was alive in her, even though her body was wasting away. She was worshiping. Why? Because the kingdom is here, and it came with Jesus' first coming. That's why the unshakable kingdom of God is the foundation of your hope. First, it's here. Second, the kingdom is expanding. It's growing. There's two reversals from Old Testament to New Testament that Micah alludes to here in verse two. Look at it in this prophecy. And the people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law or the teaching and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. First, there's a reversal from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. I'll direct you back to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 22. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words may the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. That's a description of Mount Sinai. Moses at the top receiving the Ten Commandments, God thundering down, and the people at the base trembling in fear over the awesome holiness of God, not able to touch the mountain. But, verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings. You see, God protected his holiness at Mount Sinai, but at Mount Zion, the people are walking on it. People are walking into his presence, flowing into his presence, flooding into his presence. Why? Because Jesus Christ in his first advent, his first coming, exhausted the wrath of God, took your sin, took the brokenness, so that the veil was torn in two and access to God was opened up, such that later in Hebrews it says, we approach the throne of grace, what? In fear and trembling? No, with confidence. Because of what Jesus has done, we come to Mount Zion. We walk in the presence of God. Because of what Jesus has done, and the nations are flowing to God. People of every tribe, every tongue, every language are flowing to God because of the work of Jesus. That leads us to the second reversal that we see Old Testament to new. Remember, Micah's prophecy here in chapter four is introduced by it shall come to pass in the latter days. Now, we looked at latter days in Hebrews one. There's another New Testament use of this phrase that gives witness 
to the kingdom expanding and growing. And it's in Acts chapter two, verse 17 and then verse 26. This is at Pentecost. And in the last days, there it is, latter days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit came down. Peter preaches his sermon and 3,000 people flood to the Lord over the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what we see here is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. In the book of Genesis, you remember, the people start building this tower to flex their muscles in defiance of God and independence of God. They were saying, we don't need God. We'll come together and build a tower and we'll be great. And of course, God said, no, no, I'm not gonna let that happen. So what did he do? He confused their languages so they couldn't speak to each other. Can't build a tower if you can't coordinate and speak. And he scattered them on the face of the earth. And now we see at Pentecost in the latter days, the Holy Spirit comes. And now everyone can hear in their language. They're not confused. And the nations have gathered in Jerusalem where they're saved, and then they're sent out with the word of the Lord that's flowing forth from Jerusalem. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts after chapter two. The gospel spreads like wildfire, but not without challenges. In Acts chapter one, Jesus says to his small band of followers, you're gonna be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, Acts chapter six, guess where they're at? They're still huddled in Jerusalem. God says, okay, we're gonna take care of this. He sends persecution. Stephen, the first deacon of the church, gets stoned to death. Persecution comes, and, and instantly they're scattered to Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. 2,000 years later, Jacksonville, Florida, the gospel has spread across the entire earth as Jesus promised and as the Holy Spirit has done that the word of the Lord, as we read in Micah 4, verse two, is flowing forth from Jerusalem. But just like we see in Acts, the church has the same problem. The church that is sent on mission into scatter can hunker down and get comfortable. Say, so what's the solution or why does that happen? One of the more unique sporting events that we have in our world is called the Iditarod. It's that dog sled race up across the Alaskan countryside, over a thousand miles. Riders and their dogs on their sled compete in this sporting event. It was not always a sporting event. In fact, in 1925, it began as a serious condition. There were hundreds of children in Nome, Alaska that got exposed to diphtheria. And at that time in the history of the world, 
the vaccination for that was, was very rare and widespread or spread out. And they, they realized that the, the closest city that had the serum or the vaccine for this disease was in Anchorage, Alaska. And so they had to get it from Anchorage, Alaska to Nome. And so they started, they put it on train from Anchorage to a, to a city called uh, Ninana. And then from there, they set up sleds and dogs and riders in relay from Nanana to Nome. And they put this, these vaccinations, over 300,000 units on these sleds, and these riders relayed it from Nanana to Nome in 127 hours. It's a record that still hasn't been broken. And their heroism and their commitment and their intensity and passion got this vaccine, this serum, to Nome, and hundreds of children were saved. They, 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 they coined or called that, that journey, that race, the great race of mercy. The Iditarod is not a great race of mercy anymore. It's a sporting event. They cover the same distance. They cover the same countryside. It's still dogs with riders and sleds, but their motivation is vastly different. Now they're motivated by winning money. They're motivated by success, by achievement. You see, the Iditarod, the Iditarod transformed from a, a mission of mercy into an event of consumption. And the church of Jesus Christ is in danger of doing the same thing. That, that the church and a church plant that can start as a, as a life-saving mission of mercy and evangelism can over time become an event of consumption. It can become a consumer gathering in the same way that Christmas and the Christmas season gets hijacked by consumerism, the church can get hijacked by consumerism. You know, when Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, he was referring to this problem. The harvest is plentiful. Meaning there's a, there are tons of people that need the gospel. But Jesus said the laborers are few. I believe he was speaking in to what would be the problem in the church, that the church can, can move from being a mission of mercy and evangelism to reach people who need the gospel into a, an event, a Sunday morning event of consumption and consumerism. I think we, when it comes to mission, we, we make it harder than it is. <laughs> You know, Jesus says in his gospels, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What's the command there? He says, follow me, just follow me. Follow me to your neighbor's house. Follow me down the street in your neighborhood at an intentional time when people are out playing or they're, they're walking their dogs or, or follow me to your child's soccer game or your soccer practice and guess what? I will make you fishers of men. You will watch the Holy Spirit do a work. The Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter two. 
is the same spirit that's poured out today. And you will see the Holy Spirit draw men and women to himself through you. You're just my vessel. The kingdom's expanding. The kingdom is growing because the spirit has been poured out. Why is God's unshakable kingdom the foundation of your hope? First, the kingdom's here. It's here. It lives in you by the power of the Spirit. Second, the kingdom is expanding. And finally, because the kingdom is bearing fruit. The kingdom is bearing fruit. Now, what is the fruit? What is the nature of this kingdom that's here today and expanding? Look at verse three. It says, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You see, in the kingdom of God, weapons of war are transformed into instruments of peace. The kingdom of God exists wherever Jesus is acknowledged as Lord. And wherever Jesus is acknowledged as Lord, there is peace and a working towards peace, efforts at reconciliation. What a timely truth for many of you that are about to make journeys this Christmas season to extended family. And I would challenge you this morning based on what we're reading here and what happens in the kingdom, to see that trip, and I'll speak to those of you that maybe aren't looking forward to it because of dysfunction. Rather than looking at it as how quickly can we get these three or four days to pass, that you would see it as a mission. You know, it takes two parties to reconcile. But where Jesus is Lord, there needs to be peace and there needs to be efforts at reconciliation. You know, what we do, verse one, is we, we build, and we do this as families, we do it as friends, we build our little hills, and then we stand on top of our hills, and we take spears and swords, and we, we start throwing them across to other people on top of other hills. Usually it's words, it's words, war of words right, to create wounds. And so we, we, we do these battles on these little hills we've made. And by the way, uh, you can build a hill on just about anything. In fact, my mom's side of the family, this was before the election, they had a gathering. And they decided that on the door into this house where the gathering was gonna take place, they would put a sign. And they did, they posted a sign that said, there will be no election talk or talk of politics in this home. Because my mom's side of the family, they have almost gone to fist fighting when they start talking politics. Because it's a mix of Democrats and Republicans. And they go at it. And so they put this sign up. Listen, we create our hills within families. It can be a political hill. It can be an educational preference hill, public, private, homeschool. Uh, it can be an entertainment hill. It can be a how you raise your kids hill, okay? which when you go to visit and you have in-laws, that can become a reality. We build these hills and we start throwing words and spears and swords. And meanwhile, there's this massive mountain in the middle of these hills, the mountain of the Lord, the kingdom of God. 
and we act as though it's invisible. When my kids fight, notice when I say when, when my kids fight, when they start to have a war of words or pushing and hitting or intentional antagonizing, I love how my wife deals with it. She will get their attention and she will say, this is not how life is lived in the kingdom of God. And I say, preach on, babe. She will say, this is not how life is lived in the kingdom. We do not use nasty words. We do not hit. We do not intentionally antagonize. Those things don't belong in the kingdom. And I'm going, amen. They don't belong in the kingdom of God. And then she'll say, we take our frustrations, we take our disappointments, and we take them to the Lord, to the king of this kingdom, and we let him by his power bring about reconciliation because the kingdom of God is about peace and reconciliation. The second fruit, so you've got peace and reconciliation, the second fruit of the kingdom is contentment and security. Look at verse four. It says, but they shall sit, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. The grape, which comes from the vine, and the fig were the costliest of fruits. And so Micah's point is that in the kingdom of God, the unshakable kingdom of God that we are living in now by nature of Jesus, in the kingdom of God, you sit under tremendous blessing. And remember, Micah's talking about a spiritual kingdom here. So he's not talking about health and wealth blessing. He's talking about spiritual blessing that we live under. The point here is, and the key is, when he says every person will sit under his own fig, his own vine, that's speaking to provision and contentment. Note here, the picture, nobody's having to go steal the figs and steal grapes. Everyone's sitting under their own, which means there's contentment and there's provision. In fact, several verses later in Hebrews, after after chapter 12, where the author describes Mount Sinai to Mount Zion, Hebrews 13, 5 says this, keep your life free from the love of money or stuff and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You see, you sit under your own vine, your own fig in the kingdom of God. God rains down his blessing. He rains down provision and you sit content. But not only that, verse four, no one shall make them afraid. Not only provision and contentment, but no fear. Security. Security. No fear that you're going to lose something because the spiritual blessings you have in the kingdom cannot be lost. They cannot be lost. The kingdom's here. It's expanding. It's bearing fruit. Now, how do you live in this kingdom? Look at verse five. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name 
of the Lord our God forever and ever. Living in the kingdom means forsaking those little gods that we make, forsaking them and walking with the God who sent Jesus to rescue us and to usher us into his kingdom. And when we're walking with God and following Jesus, the kingdom is present, the kingdom is expanding, and it's bearing fruit. In an article about responding to tragedy and disaster, Jamie Ayton, who's a a psychologist, psychology professor at Wheaton College, he describes what he learned through a Hurricane Katrina uh, research study that was done by his team several weeks after Katrina made landfall. And he specifically remembers interviewing this survivor, one of the survivors of the storm, that described getting in his car and trying to escape along the coastline when the hurricane was coming in. And this survivor describes getting in his car. And as he started driving on the coastline, the the rain was getting heavier and the winds were howling and he was losing visibility and he quickly realized that he probably wasn't gonna be able to go much farther. And about that time, panic set in. And just about the time that panic set in, he saw something moving just ahead off the road to the right. And as he got closer, he saw it was one of his neighbors who he had never met, who was standing in the pouring rain and the howling wind with a homemade particle board sign with the words, stop here, spray painted on it. And he saw that sign and he turned in to his neighbor's driveway and found a safe haven. The kingdom of God is a refuge. It is a safe haven. And Jesus Christ entered the storm. He took the full fury of the storm, of the wrath of God, of your sin, of your brokenness on the cross, and he endured it so that he could rise from the dead and usher in a kingdom of God that has refuge and safe haven. And then he says to you, in this kingdom that you're living where you found refuge, as an ambassador of the king, he says, now I want you to walk out into the storm. I want you to go into the brokenness. I want you to walk down the street into your neighbor's house and I want you to point people to this refuge, to point people to this safe haven, that your very life would be a refuge because the kingdom of God lives in you, that your very home and your neighborhood would be a safe haven and a refuge because the kingdom of God lives in you and that this kingdom would grow and that the nations, which by the way are in your neighborhood, that the nations would flow to it. Let's pray.
Father, thank you that during this Advent season, we have a hope that is unshakable because your kingdom has come in Jesus and your kingdom lives in us by the Holy Spirit. Father, there are many here this morning that need that hope. And there may be many, all of us to some degree, who have been and who are this Advent season putting our hope in circumstances, good or bad, or in circumstantial change. And we pray, and I pray boldly this morning, that you would cause that kingdom that lives in us to come alive by your Holy Spirit, that we would walk through these next weeks of Advent as a light, as a refuge, as a safe haven, and that Jesus, you would be our refuge. Father, as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, thank you for giving us a taste of your kingdom. And would you meet with us by your spirit that we would taste it this morning. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.